If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only kimberly archie hey thanks for having me on what is going on how are you welcome what's going on today well you know we're just in the middle of the ongoing part of the girardi um bankruptcy and then also the competency hearing um stuff on the criminal charges uh here in california so we're that's that's the thick of it for right now i am in la as well i split my time between new york and la so yeah i mean there is a buzz here in la about all of this you know, I'm familiar with your personal story, you know, about, you know, your son. I know you lost your son in the motorcycle accident. And then you realize, like, you know, afterwards that he did have brain trauma from playing football. And you, you were an advocate of that. And you were filing your own lawsuits. I mean, my first question to you is, like, were you pursuing, like, was that all happening simultaneously where you were taking legal cases and trying to pursue to become a legal consultant? Like, was that totally separate from like going to Tom for help? Like, did it all happen at once? No. So what happened is 20 years ago, this November, my daughter um, was injured on her high school cheerleading team. And I had been a cheerleader and I had coached cheerleading. And so when my daughter got injured, it just, it seemed really um, uh, insane for lack of a better word that kids were in the hands of these adults and they didn't even have like a first aid kit or an emergency plan. Like I wasn't upset about sort of the nuances, but more of the big picture stuff. Like how come it's not required if you're going to have kids doing acrobatics, you know, and gymnastics to have an emergency plan or a first aid kit. So my daughter broke her arm. It was a double compound fracture, you know, so both of the bones are sticking out of the skin. I happened to be there when it happened because I was there to pay my bill, just ironically. Um, and so the emergency plan was really me. Um, I cut up a carpet and, um, or maybe someone cut it up for me, but either way, we had to cut up a piece of carpet. I made a sling with it. And then I picked my kid up and took her to the ER. So that's what really got me on this path of where I am now, which is sort of um, there's so many layers to this that uh, that gets lost in the story. And so I was on this quest as a legal consultant and expert witness in cheerleading when I was taking this legal class and the professor showed the Aaron Brockovich movie. And I was so fired up after seeing it that I wrote an email. I fire off this, you know, I go to the contact page on the website, <clears throat> fill it in. And within... 
minutes, my phone is ringing. Well, I'm writing to the law firm at the time was called Masri and Vitito. That's where Aaron Brockovich worked in the movie. But what most people know now is that that law firm gave that case to Tom and Tom's the one who actually settled it and was the reason for, at the time, the largest settlement um, of its kind. And that's how I met the Aaron Brockovich lawyers. So it had nothing to do with my son. This was 2008. It was a long time ago. So a good couple of years before my best friend Kathy's house blows up. And so PG&E, the same company that's in the movie Aaron Brockovich, blows up my childhood best friend's house. And her whole neighborhood is destroyed. Eight people are killed. 35 homes are burnt to the ground. So, um, you know, that's where the link to Tom really begins is with my friend Kathy. What are the chances of that, right? That, you know, you're studying to be a legal, you know, consultant and expert because of your daughter. You have this happen to your son. You write in because you see Aaron Brockovich and the same, you know, company happens to Kathy, who happens to be your best friend. And that's how you refer her to Tom. Like, that's just so mixed. Because I think that does get lost in your story where there's so much talk about Tom now. But I just wanted to clarify right. that because that's so many things happening at once, right? And Tom, you know, he was up against a lot of competition to get the Ragomez's business. They interviewed a lot of lawyers. Lawyers were crawling everywhere after the San Bruno explosion. I think they interviewed like five or six law firms. And, you know, Tom did his usual, you know, razzle dazzle. Did it like, did he get that business because of, you know, in part because of you and, you know, your childhood best friend and that connection? Like, was that part of why he won it? Um, I mean, I would say that it's fair to say that they interviewed him because, you know, I mentioned that I had seen this movie and that I had been talking to these lawyers and the stuff they had told me about PG&E. I mean, every time I would tell them about sports, they would tell me a story about PG&E and how terrible they were. So imagine, you know, my whole drive from L.A. to San Francisco, I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm remembering all these horrific stories about the stuff PG&E had done to victims. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, not only did her house get blown up, but kind of by a really shitty company that you can't, you know, you got to take really serious that they may not do the right thing. Yeah. So so the introduction um, did come through me, but he certainly had to earn the business and, um, you know, for the Ragomez, you know, as a family to, to pick him. So, you know, that was really on him. Was it truly, you know, like before all of this came out, you know, like Tom was yeah, the Aaron Brockovich lawyer, like, you know, an esteemed lawyer, like, was it really like it's made out to be in the media? Like wherever he went, you know, people would kiss the ring. He went to the private club. You hear about all these lunches and just everyone kissing the ring of Tom. Uh, I think that stuff is understated, frankly. I wish I think about it all the time. I wish I had taken a video camera around with me to some of the events that I went to especially the legal conferences. There's this one conference that always sticks out in my mind. And I was sitting there with a bunch of famous lawyers. Okay. These weren't little random attorneys. These were all big wigs, like people who had championed big causes on a national level, won a hundred trials, just like Tom. 
And we're all sitting there talking and they're talking about these pet cases, cases that are difficult, you know, and how they want to litigate them and how, you know, who, who they want to do them with and stuff like that. And they ask me, well, what are you up to? So I tell them about, you know, my cheerleading company and how I want to go after them and how I want Tom to do it. And they all laughed in my face. Like they laughed as if I didn't know them. And I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, well, I could just call them at home right now or call them at the office or just talk to them at the Jonathan club or, but I didn't say anything. I just sat there and took it all in. Wow. Did you see anything like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the housewife and the hustler, like hindsight is 2020. Like when you were there with Tom, like, did you have any, was there any tip off? Was there anything strange, no matter how small or, I mean, I know hindsight's 2020. Yeah. Well, in hindsight there, I could give you a whole trail, you know, it's kind of like being in a toxic relationship and you didn't know. And then afterwards you're like, oh my God, how'd I miss this? Or how'd I miss that? Um, I really got to give, um, you know, the, the credit really to my best friend, Cassie. She's the one who started um, picking up on things and started getting concerned. And then of course, we've been friends since we were three years old. So 51 years now. Um, and so, you know, at the time we're been friends like 40 something years. So you really talk things out like best friends do, you know, like four hours on the phone, analyzing every angle, you know, so sort of imagine if you're doing that with your best friend about a relationship, that's sort of what we did with Tom, you know, what's this, what does this mean? Um, so she started to see stuff, you know, fairly early on. So prior to my son's death in 2014. Um, you know, we start to wonder, especially that summer before he died, we were really, um, beginning to doubt things, but we were kind of gaslighting ourselves, if that makes sense, because it seemed crazy. Right. And it was Tom Girardi. It wasn't like, you know, some random lawyer with a shingle. I mean, it was like, you know, this brilliant lawyer, right. You probably, did you have times right where you were gaslighting yourself or you thought like we're watching way too much reality TV, true crime. Like we're losing our minds. Cause this I is didn't watch TV. So, so, it, it, so imagine that, like I sort of live in this legal bubble where I'm off just, I'm thinking I've done too many lawsuits, you know, and you're starting to think like, you, you know, you've looked at all these defendants and you've seen all these patterns and you're thinking, I can't be seeing the same thing. And Tom, I mean, what's the irony of that? I'm working with him now at that point on the NFL brain injury case. And we're taking on the NFL, one of the most powerful marketing, you know, uh, companies in, in the world, really. Um, they're very successful, not only at football, but at how they market football. And we're going up against them. And so I'm thinking, wow, you know, I always call him a shark. You know, you don't want to bring a guppy to a shark fight. So if you're hiring a lawyer, you know, and you're going up against some big company, you want a shark versus a shark, you know? So I'm thinking, what? I, I said once to Kathy, like, ask me to take on anybody, but lawyers, oh, I mean, we'll be killed. We'll end up missing, or at the very least, just two crazy old ladies, like 80 years old, you know, drinking our spiked um, tea on the porch, still talking about Tom Girardi and no one believes us. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back. 
and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or, of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top-shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. You know, I always start out the year with such lofty financial goals. Look, tax returns are coming soon. We're getting over holiday spending. And I like to have my financials in order at the beginning of every year. That's why I use the Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. If you're looking for a credit card that helps you build credit, this is it. What I love best, and I've never been able to find this before in a credit card, is that there's no annual fees, there's no interest, and there's no credit check to apply. So you can access over 60,000 fee-free ATMs. You can pay your friends through Chime, whether they're Chime members or not. Start building Building your credit, open a Chime checking account with at least a $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com slash velvet. That's Chime.com slash velvet. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and over-the-counter advance fees may apply. Call 1-844-244-6363 for details. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Has anyone else had major drama in hiring for their business out there? How great does it feel to finally find the right qualified candidate and close out a job search? But what if I told you you could get rid of the job search and just match? You can with Indeed. Indeed is a great matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. I was able to hire the last ad sales rep that I hired within such a short period of time. Before Indeed, this would have taken me days and weeks, sometimes even months. Do you know that in the minute I've basically just been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide, 23 hires. Right now, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash velvet. Just go to Indeed.com slash velvet right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash velvet. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right. So when you then, you know, finally, I know, you know, you finally filed your motion to replace him as your, you know, as your counsel in your son's case. And then the same day, Kathy, you know, with her son's case, like turned around and like sued him. Like, what's the mindset of that? Like, what got you to that? that like, was were you nervous? 
Yeah. So um, what led up to um, us, you know, uh, sort of freaking out and pulling the trigger was um, the fact that Tom was being sued by the legal and or you know the legal lending companies that had been loaning him these large amounts of money, and so if he's not able to pay them back, and he's claiming to have um, invested the Rogomez's money, um, where's their money? You know that really started to feel scary, and it's like you know. And what's going to happen to the people who actually have Jordy Keese as uh, as their attorneys, their cases? Part of the value of a case is who's your lawyer, what yeah. law firm. So when you value a case, part of the way you value it, it's kind of like penny stocks too. You know, it starts off worth really nothing, and then as it trucks along, it kind of goes up and down. You know, you never know, and anything could make the value of your case be worth nothing. So what would these cases be worth? Who would take them? Who would want to take cases from Tom before the law firm implodes? Nobody's going to want to go against him. We already knew this because I tried to get other lawyers to take my son's case because I was worried about what if Kathy was right? What yeah. if she wasn't crazy? And I didn't think she was per se either, you know, but what if she was truly right? Um, where would I be in the middle of my case? I wouldn't want to try to go somewhere else, but no one wanted to take it. You know, in fact, one guy literally said, I'll take it if Tom turns it down. So that's how I had to literally go have a meeting with Tom at the Jonathan club. And, you know, to, to follow up to your earlier question, was he really seen as a special of a guy? He had his own table, not at like, you know, uh, uh, you know, some random restaurant, the Jonathan Club, which is one of two of the most prestigious clubs in Los Angeles. And Ronald Reagan was a member there. Tom had his own table with a little reserve sign on it. When you go to meet with him, I mean, when you get there, people know who you are and that you're coming to see Tom. He would often let them know and they, you know, they would be all over it. So Tom was certainly seen in every place that he went as this larger than life sort of hero, hero, not just, oh, he did a lot of business or he was rich, but he was a hero, he helped people in their darkest moments. Yeah. Now I've watched The Housewife and The Hustler. I'm familiar with the case, obviously, but just have you seen or has Kathy seen anything? Like, I mean, what is that? Like, have you gotten any money? Like, what's the status of all of that? So um, the only the secured creditors have been paid in the bankruptcy so far. So right. a number of the legal lenders, which is um, sort of shocking. Um, and then um, the Rogomez's judgment um, was approved recently as well. So, um, you know, we've seen some justice for Kathy's family, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, I could probably never put it into words uh, how much I wondered or worried or thought that maybe that her family, particularly her son, Joe, would not get all of his money back. Um, and every, he, he deserved to get every bit of his money back and then some. And he's been such a gentleman, really, in the process um, under such tremendous pressure, you know, so we're. We're uh, ecstatic that um, 
you know, they've got their uh, oxygen mask on, as Erica would say. And now, you know, they can, you know, breathe a sigh of relief a little bit. Do you ever feel guilty, even though, you know, Tom had to prove himself and it really was like, but do you ever feel guilty just for the connection that it's your best friend? Yes. Yes. Horribly. Yes. And not, and not just for the Rogomeses, for anybody that I ever said that Tom was amazing or, you know, I mean, I, I took hundreds of trips for Girardi Keys. I did dozens of presentations at legal conferences, medical conferences in front of um, victims. I mean, uh, yeah, I have nightmares about it. Is there one thing, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. is there one thing that stands out now where you're like, oh man, what a red flag. And just something so egregious like that, looking back, you're like, how could I not have, you know, it was right in front of my face. I don't know. I don't think there was ever one, you know, big uh, aha moment, really. Um, even looking back, uh, it was so complex, so nuanced, so layered. So, I mean, there was just dozens of people involved in, I mean, me and Kathy call it the legal matrix. Like we lived in a world that everything we were being told basically, or not everything, but, you know, 90% of what was being said now looking back would be a lie. So it's this very sort of bizarro, you know, world. I think um, one of the things that I look back on that sort of um, catch me is that there were these email exchanges in July 2014, and I was pretty fed up. Um, I literally said to Tom, um, I'd rather be dead than have worked on the NFL case or, you know, being connected to the Regomez case in any way at all. Um, And I was pretty upset and didn't talk to them from those email exchanges until my son's death six weeks later. So me and Kathy always feel like, you know, it's weird how the world works, but that basically gave Tom another chance to um, continue what he was doing and sort of us to gaslight ourselves again, because now we're really emotional. We're upset. My son's dead. Kathy's obviously upset. It's very close to home with Joe and what her son went through. And now mine doesn't, isn't, you know, even alive. Plus we send his brain in and find out he's got, you know, intensive brain damage throughout his entire brain. Um, And I'm working on the NFL case, Uh, you know, so we're, we're just feeling like, you know, women are often told we're over emotional. So we're thinking, you know, we're just being over emotional. We really need to just calm down. Um, and instead we just really gave him another chance. So yeah, I look back and think if my son hadn't died, would the buck have stopped there? It might've. Right. But I mean, you can't blame yourself for this. No, no, I don't. I, I definitely don't. Yeah, no, I don't blame myself. But just looking back, I think like fate, you know, like these are the cards you're dealt. I always tell my kids, you know, uh, you got to be able to win on a on a, a you know a hand that somebody else would fold on. That's life. That's how you get through life, you know. And you got to find the joy and the happiness even in those difficult or rough moments. I mean, um, the housewife and the hustler on Hulu they tried to show that a little bit about how sarcastic 
and how much time Kathy and I spend making jokes because um, if you didn't do that, it would get really kind of dark. Um, and um, who wants to look back at your life and say, oh, the last 13 years, we were just living in the matrix. We were, but we were, you know, doing as much um, as we could to laugh our way through it. As crazy as that sounds too. <laughs> no, I kind of live my life the same way. I mean, it's not great all the time, but I do feel that like you are dealt the cards you're dealt and it just, it is what it is. And so you have to make the best with that. It is your situation. Why you? But I mean, like you could say, well, why not me? Like, it's not that that, right. you know, like it. that's why me, but why not me? Exactly. I just saw this documentary, American Symphony, about this musician and his wife who has cancer and he's, you know, winning all these Grammys and, you know, his life is just blowing up. He's about to do his American Symphony um, at Carnegie Hall, which is like considered, you know, not just in the U.S., but even outside the U.S., sort of a pinnacle of someone's career to put on a symphony at Carnegie Hall, right? Um, and it, I really loved the way the director wove in their tragedy, their triumphs, and how they had to deal with the hand they were dealt and do their best. And they used art uh, really to do that. Like me and Kathy used humor. And, and I hope it, it really showed sort of a parallel to what we've been living through the last like 10 years. You guys know I've been so honest with you about my weight loss over the past few months. Look, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. There's so many diet plans that say, do this, don't do that. And none of them have ever worked for me. That is until Noom. Noom realizes that with weight, one size does not fit all. They take into account each person's individual needs. Noom builds personal plans that takes your specific dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs into account, and then they build a plan that works for you. Noom uses a psychology-based approach. They focus on the why. They believe that losing weight starts with your brain, so they focus on why haven't you been able to lose weight. They really change the way you think about food. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Is anyone shopping online right now? I know you guys are. Well, listen, stop. You need to shop with Rakuten. Rakuten is the most rewarding way to shop and save because their members earn cash back on everything that they buy. I just bought a ton of new supplies for this podcast because I was out of pens and paper. I, I like to get everything at once. And I went to Rakuten and I went to Staples and now I got cash back by buying these things I would have bought anyway. Rakuten is a shopping platform that partners with over 3,500 stores across every category. Beauty, clothing, electronics, home, department stores, pets. You're already shopping at these stores anyway, so it's a total no-brainer. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. I just got all my supplies at Staples and they're on the way, but look, you could shop at Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Bloomingdale's, Sephora, Expedia, all on Rakuten. 
Rakuten. So don't you want to earn cash back when you're shopping? Go to Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. You guys did use humor as we saw in The Housewife and The Hustler. Do you think like The Housewife and The Hustler, like how do you feel about it? Like, do you think you and Kathy were accurately represented? Do you think that documentary as a whole represented the situation correctly? Um, I think that, um, for one, it was, it was done very early on and really in a short turnaround time to, to keep up with sort of like current news, which we thought was really cool. Um, that's a delicate thing to do sort of to, cause you're rushing, but you don't want to overwrite, you know, you got to find the sweet spot where, you know, you at least show some of the humanity of the people in the documentary, which I thought that they did. Um, would I have had um, so many talking heads or that were almost confusing or would I have had, I don't remember the lady's name that was supposed to be like an old housewife. Probably not. Um, but those are creative choices, you know, that a director and, and at a place like Hulu ABC, you got a whole chain of command above you. So, um, you know, overall, we thought that the way we were portrayed was fair especially our friendship, um, because, you know, we are really um, close friends, especially through all of this. Yes, I think there should have been some different talking heads in there myself, but that's just me as well. I was in the Randall scandal. They should have called me. Maybe for the next one, they will. But <laughs> it's not about me here today. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I thought it was pretty well done, too. So now we have, you know, you talk about, you know, Tom, right? We now have this competency trial, like he's in a facility, you know, he's claiming dementia, you know, when, before we get there, when you were working with Tom, like towards the end, like, did you ever notice anything with like any memory issues with him? Yeah. So, um, I definitely did notice some odd things. Um, I felt like, you know, some few months after the, um, car wreck. And, you know, being someone who works on brain injury cases, my son had CTE. Um, you know, I am a brain injury survivor from a car accident when I was nine from a drunk driver. So I'm very aware. I'm hyper aware of brain injury symptoms. So I did wonder, you know, especially in the months afterwards that he was having like some you know, aging issues or perhaps some residual stuff from the, from that car wreck, but it was small things, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, you know, Tom should be in a home. Um, it was way more nuanced than that. It was more like, you know, Hey, maybe his doctor needs to know, or people around him should just be, you know, so aware of it because it's important no matter your age, if you've had a brain injury, for your loved ones around you and the people who help you get through the day that they're sort of aware of it. Um, nobody else seemed to really think there was anything going on when I was saying it. So it's funny in hindsight, they're saying people were sending emails or saying whatever. Um, you know, I was being told the opposite that he was fine. Um, you know, no one said anything to me. The last time I ever saw Tom was at the Jonathan club. Uh, it was a meeting in the follow-up to, you know, demanding that they pay the Ragomez's back their money. And um, I gave him a copy of the book that we did, Brain Damage, the one behind me. And I took a photo with it. Um, I knew it would probably be the last time I'd ever see him. I knew at that time. Um, and I asked him if he would donate his brain. 
to Mount Sinai Brain Bank in New York City because I had done a lot of stuff with them. And Tom was very supportive of my work with brain banks and um, the moms from, you know, the football world that were trying to get more brain banks involved in the research of, you know, kids who had played collision sports. And um, he said, yes. So, you know, I brought it up on Dr. Oz and bringing it up again today. I mean, I'm going to continue to campaign for Tom's brain. And now that they're claiming that he has late, which is, you know, uh, asinine, um, then, yeah, when he passes away, they should definitely give his brain so he can prove that he wasn't lying about um, not being able to um, stand trial. Why did you suggest that he, well, one, why did you think that was the last time you were going to see him? And why did you suggest that he donate his brain at that point? Um, because I thought that, um, you know, a, uh, yeah, I did not see it coming that he was going to claim incompetency for one. Okay. So that had nothing to do with it. It was the fact that, um, I knew that the Gomez's were going to sue and um, that we that I was going to take my case um, and, you know, get another attorney who wasn't stealing from their clients or that was the hope at the time. And so um, I didn't think I would see him again once I fired him. I, I really I never thought I'd hear from him again. And I was surprised to get calls um, after. I mean, it was really surprising. And you just think his brain should have been donated? What? Just because it was like a brilliant legal mind? Like up to that point, yeah. we didn't know about any of this. Yeah, because well, so it was basically, um, you know, he had been in a car wreck. He had had a brain injury. Um, he had played sports when he was young. He's a big proponent of football. I mean, if you look at his um, high school yearbook, he doesn't say he wants to be a lawyer. Uh, he wanted to be the manager of the Rams. Right now. Wow. So, um, you know, and it, it was because of the work on the NFL case. I mean, you got to think that the 10 years prior to this meeting, I spent 24 7, 365 days a year traveling, flying on the phone, doing interviews, talking to victims, talking to experts, talking to Tom, talking to lawyers, going to legal conferences all around brain injury, brain damage. I had flown and gone to Mount Sinai um, in uh, Florida many times to New York to um, to Mount Sinai there to um, Mayo Clinic, Boston U to look at these brain autopsies. Tom paid for all that, so it's like this. It's, we're very connected on that particular topic, and so to me. Here he's this famous lawyer. If he wants to, um, you know, uh, sort of salvage doing something right, then he should give his brain to the research and the science that I've been working on. It's the least that he could do after what he's done, basically just threw my son's case in the garbage. Yes. Well, to your point, you've been, you traveled around 365 for this very case. You wrote a book on it. Like, so Kimberly is Tom a brilliant lawyer that's now doing a, his final brilliant act or does he truly have yes. dementia? Yeah, no, he's doing a, you, you know, I, so they were in the competency hearing, they were talking about like what the experts think his IQ is. 
and 108, 98, and 88. Notice I remember all three because I, you know, I was just sitting there going, you've got to be kidding. Now, mind you, I understand there's EQ and IQ, right? And Tom's EQ is for certain off the charts. But even his IQ, I mean, he, he pulled off the ultimate scam for not like five years or 10 years, four decades. He got dozens of people to go along with the scam. He was able to get all areas of law enforcement, all levels of government, um, even quasi-government agencies like the bar, okay, all of the legal organizations and his peers to prop him up. That shit is not done by somebody who's an idiot. There's no way. And he did mastermind for the most part of what happened um, for his firm, uh, it, at least the beginning decades of it. You know, so this started, they have complaints going back to 1982. That's when me and Kathy were in junior high playing Charlie's Angels uh, and riding our bikes to Taco Bell. Tom was already getting complaints. Okay, so imagine the timeline of mine and Kathy's life. You know, they knew when we were little kids that this guy was a scumbag and he pulled it off until what? Uh, you know, until basically people inside the law firm were stealing so much and were so mad at Tom for not sharing enough of the stolen money that, you know, the beast eats itself from the inside out and it all comes tumbling down. Yeah. So you think this is just all, do you think this is an act? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, to see his mistress, some guy that he gave millions to for some company that kind of did stuff for lawsuits or whatever, some defense attorney, um, you know, get up there and as the witnesses for Tom that, you know, he's really not faking it. He's, you know, doing terrible and then you have, you know, the same expert who blew up, who did terrible in my case, Dr. Marikangas, who's a longtime friend of Tom's. Throughout the entire competency hearing, we hear that Marikangas is the one orchestrating all the experts. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, wait a minute. Who's Marikangas? Okay, Marikangas is a board certified neurologist and psychiatrist. Those are unusual to be double board certified in that. He has been a high profile expert witness in criminal cases of people with brain injury, brain damage um, for decades. And he's masterminding what experts are, are uh, looking at Tom and those people, Dr. Chu, the head of USC's medical center is good friends with Mary Kangas and Mary Kangas and his wife are calling her and getting her. That was only the first time in a civil case like this had Dr. Chu, the head of USC, ever testified in court, clearly doing a favor for Dr. Merrick Kangas, who I was told when he did terrible in my case, that it was because he was losing his mind and he was up there in age. And that's why he didn't do well. But now years later, he's still doing perfectly well to coordinate with the public defenders to get Tom a good chance of getting off the hook for having to stand trial. They're at least going to drag it out. So maybe he kicks the bucket anyway, or maybe he does get senile enough that it would be, I don't know. You know, I mean, the guy's 84 years old now. 
they've drug it out for years already. And even if the judge rules that he's competent, they're going to appeal it. And how long is that going to take? A year, two years, whatever. You know, there could be a backlog because of, you know, COVID the last few years. We don't know when that would actually get ruled on. So in other words, you don't think Tom Jordy will ever see the inside of a jail cell? Uh, I'd like to think that he would, especially for the victims, not just the current ones, but the ones that weren't listened to 40 years ago. Some people died and nobody listened to them. Um, and so for, for those people, I hope he does. I don't even care if it's a day, but just being held accountable, a system that was broken, finally does the right thing, not just for Tom, but the people that helped him do it because he didn't do it alone. You know, obviously we see the bookkeeper was stealing from him and now we see some movement on the son-in-law. You know, the bar has just filed um, just recently to um, get permission from the bar courts to file an extended um, filing to ask for the son-in-law to be disbarred while all this stuff's going on because he's caused so much harm to the public. And, you know, he's not the only one at Girardi Keys who is lying to the victims. We know from my friend Kathy's family. We know from the NFL case. We know from the ghost ship case, which was a huge um, case in uh, Oakland where 36 people died. Those people got their money stolen too. Uh, and there are thousands of victims of Girardi. So, um, you know, I hope so. But I, I at this point, we've been, you know, we've gaslit ourselves. People have gaslit us. The system hasn't worked. It's failed over and over. Um, so it, it's kind of like, you know, we definitely are wait to see what happens. Um, it won't be because we didn't do everything we possibly could to cooperate, to turn over, to help, to stay out of the way or whatever was needed to be done, um, to help victims, to, you know, speak out when we could, when we thought it was appropriate. Um, it's certainly not because of that, but uh, it's definitely something that, um, you know, to see a lawyer like that fall that from that height to this, I mean, it, it's, it's almost unbelievable. I mean, people are obsessed with the Murdoch case on the East Coast, and it's a very fascinating case because it's really similar, except for Girardi was doing it for the entire state of California, which is the fourth largest economy in, in the world. I mean, my God, talk about power. And his wife is on TV bragging about it. Uh, you just couldn't make that up. You couldn't make that up. So when you when Tom says in court that, you know, he doesn't remember his, you know, his most current wife, Erica Jane, you're like rolling your eyes. Yeah, it's total bullshit. Yeah, yeah. How insane. I mean, we had just had the event, um, you know, at, uh, you know, my son's event, you know, for the ice cream company. And Erica had said that when she talks to him that, you know, he asks her things and current questions. And then she went on a podcast and said that he had called her the day after her opening night to ask her how it went. He's all up on things. 
you know, one of the interesting things during the competency hearing is that they asked, you know, all the experts, well, you know, what proof do you have of this? Like, you know, it's not acceptable in science to, to look at a PET scan and give a diagnosis of any neurodegenerative disease. They can get, try to give a clinical diagnosis to try to treat something, but it's not until you have a brain autopsy and you cut the brain open and you look at it in a certain way with the right chemicals, you can't say someone has CTE or Alzheimer's or Lewy body or whatever. You can guess, do your best guess at that, but the gold standard is an autopsy. And then they go on to say, well, even though we've had all these sympathetic people about you know him being in a locked facility, he's a, like a level one at that locked facility, meaning he's the least worse off and that's never changed the whole time he's been there. Like if you're progressing rapidly, really bad, wouldn't you move on some kind of scale that somebody else is doing that's independent of the things that he can manipulate? I mean, yeah. you know, so it makes you wonder. And then he sat there perfectly. You know, I was there all three days of the hearing. He sat there perfectly, except for the part where he said, fuck you. But he actually, someone said on a podcast who wasn't there, oh, he stood up or whatever. No, he didn't. He was sitting, I was actually watching him. And I did a lot of moving around because he would move so I couldn't stare him down because this is my only chance to look this guy in his eye and say, you fucked over all these people. And if they can't be here, I'm going to be here and let you know that what you did was disgusting and gross and you should go away for the rest of your life. And so should the people that helped you. And so he would move, you know, <laughs> try to keep trying out. So I would move down the bench. Move down. So I was staring at him when this happened. And in my mind, I'm thinking, cause I'm in the third row. So you've got rows of people that are, you know, behind this wooden gate. And then you have another row and then you have the tables of the two sides that are sitting there. And then the judge is all the way in the back of the courtroom. So, I didn't hear it, but I saw it. And Tom and I had an ongoing joke. Like I used to give him gifts with fuck you or the word fuck on them because we both swear a lot. So I'm like, did Tom just say fuck you to the prosecutor? Before my mind could even question it, the prosecutor says to the judge, you know, I just want you to know, the defendant just said fuck you. And then I'm thinking, did he just say fuck you and not F you to the judge? You know, like, it, the whole thing was just sort of wild, but it was never loud or boisterous. It wasn't an outburst on anybody's behalf. It was so kind of subtle and smooth. That's the only thing that was out of character of what would I consider following social norms. So for 24 hours, Tom Girardi sat in a courtroom, followed all social norms and didn't fucking fall asleep. Who wouldn't fall asleep <laughs> if you have like late stage dementia and you got to sit there and you can't really talk or move? I mean, we're falling asleep sometimes sitting there watching some of this stuff. It's so boring. How could somebody with that late stage, you know, and then like the clownery stuff of him like showing up in his slippers and like, you know, the same jacket every day and trying to look all, you know, whatever. Or like when he would leave the courtroom as soon as he saw all the cameras and the paparazzi, he would like light up and like do this little like show for everybody. I have tons of footage of that. Like I've wanted to make a reel of it so bad. 
and put it to this catchy song because it looks nuts. He looks like kind of like a Ronald McDonald, like a clown. You know, it's like he thinks that he's portraying that he's senile and he doesn't know his environment. So he's happy to see everybody, but he just looks like a master fucking manipulator. And it, the joke's on him. Do you think that when he was moving around, like, was it to avoid you? Because there you were, like you said, representing all these victims. Oh, he you was, wanted to see. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He did not. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He didn't want to look you in the eyes. No. No. Do you think Erica is upset that she she did go on a podcast and she said, oh, yeah, Tom called me to wish me luck on my Vegas residency. Do you think she regrets saying that because it's now being used in court against Tom? I mean, I don't know. I get, you know, I think that I'd certainly be guessing, but, you know, it, my opinion from the, from what I know about Erica, from Tom, from real life, or what you also see on the show, I think Erica's biggest concern is Erica. I mean, you know, uh, she's the one who said, put your face mask on first and then help other people. So I think even with Tom, her number one concern is surviving all of this, um, is getting through it and being able to continue. She's, you know, 50 something years old. She, if she lives to be as old as Tom, she's got 30 more years to make it in this life. Um, do I think that she would do that on purpose? I, I don't think so. I think whether you consider it right or wrong, healthy or unhealthy, um, you know, Outside of the money, I do think that Erica was at least attached to Tom and had love for him. You don't spend two decades with somebody, even if it's an unhealthy relationship and not love isn't simple like that. Humans aren't simple. We're complex people. That's why we screw up and we do good things and everything in between. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if she really regrets it or if she's in the moment. I mean, she just got a, a show for her show in Vegas on Bravo, like extra episodes all about her. I'm sure she's celebrating that right now. Right. That's more money. It's another payday. I mean, you are right. There's different, right. I don't think you can be with someone for two decades and not love them. There's different types of love. Do you think she was in love with him? Maybe in the beginning when she was young, I, you know, I mean, I don't think people, that's the part I, I we were talking about earlier that I don't think people really like you hear about it, but it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to live it. Like how larger than life he was, you know, how he was friends with like Supreme Court justices. He was on the board of um, the Library of Congress. He had one of the largest art collections of um, court art in the world and donated it to the Library of Congress. So I think Erica really looked up to him and admired him and his success. And she wanted to have success maybe creatively and different than Tom, but that type of success. And so I think that, um, you know, and especially for a man, respect is love. A lot of men tell me you know, so if you look at it in that way, I would say she was in love with him in the beginning, or at least with the life that she thought that they could make together and to be a power couple um, and in, in Los Angeles of all places. And Tom knew a lot of people in entertainment. That's why he like owned a horse with Burt Baccarat and, you know, so-and-so and, you know, Leanne Rimes would come sing, you know, Christmas carols or 
you know, all types of different people in the entertainment industry would show up at um, events and parties and stuff that Tom was um, in charge of. So I, I just imagine that as a young 20 something year old waiting tables, I mean, in her book, she says she throws her bags of clothes in the back of her little convertible and trash bags and heads over to the mansion. What's not the love? I, I, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, sometimes, like, you're in love with a person you think you are and like, you don't, I mean, it, the money's there. So like, you're in love, but it's, you don't really do a deep analysis of is it love or is it for the money? I think maybe sometimes. I don't know. I mean, I'm 54. I ask myself every day, do I know what love even is yet? I'm not even, I'm still on that journey. You and me both, honey, you and me both. (laughs) Do you think that she, you know, like she does this on the podcast, it's in court. Like, do you think she still like loves him, still has feelings, feels bad that she might be, you know, like, do you think she still loves him in some respect? I think she has like Stockholm syndrome. Um, and that's just my opinion. Uh, and as the trolls love to say, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm nothing. I have no credentials. Um, so, you know, but just from my point of view, I feel like she does still have feelings for him. She does still care about him. I don't think she wants to believe that he's the bad guy that he is. And I can relate to that tremendously. I don't want to believe it either. It's kind of like, you know, when someone famous, we find out they're a child molester, you know, you loved them or you cared about them or you had all these moments with them. And, um, you know, Erica uh, had a lot of dreams come true in her life because of some of the connections and the money that Tom had. So she's, you know, got these really deep bonds with him. And I think that's really hard to sort of you know layer it and say like well here's the bad guy and here's the guy who do did these things i also know he was a really big control freak and i know for damn sure that he didn't do that to all of us but he didn't and then not do it to erica um and uh you know her and i shared a driver so i had a guy that i would regularly have as a driver that also would drive erica or erica and tom And, um, you know, he would tell me stuff that he was worried about Erica or that he thought, you know, Tom wasn't nice to Erica. Um, And I would go back to that control freak thing that, you know, like when we had lunches, either just he and I or even a group, we weren't allowed to have bread on the table because he didn't want it there. (laughs) So nobody else could have it. Imagine living with somebody like that. Like, who fucking cares? If you don't want bread, don't eat it, dude. I mean, why do your guests, I just could never, I don't care how powerful or how much money I had. I would never invite my friends and be like, I mean, I'm the opposite. What do you guys want at my house? What kind of drinks do you want? What do you like? What are your brands? I mean, I want to have that for my guests, right? That's how most people who are hosting, no matter what your background is, Tom's hosting, but it was always, he was the center of the universe. Imagine living with somebody like that. Yikes. What did this person tell you about like Erica, about how Tom like was controlling towards her? Um, just you know, that he felt like he was demeaning to Erica and controlling, and um, you know, that it was difficult at times emotionally for Erica. And and you know, here's the thing: like, uh, we had sort of a close 
you know, sort of bond. Not a lot of people knew anything about the inside. And so I don't really talk to people besides my friend, Kathy, because you don't want that getting out, you know, all over the place. It was just better to keep it to yourself. So this guy and I would chit chat on my way to the airport, which, you know, if you go to the LAX from the, I live in the Valley. So it's an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours, depending on whatever the hell is going on in LA. So I might be in the car with him for two hours at a time or whatever. And so you do sort of talk about these deep things. And at the time he had no reason to be lying to me. I mean, these were just his points of view. So take that for what it's worth. But I always say drivers, hairdressers, makeup artists, pilots, they know what's up. I'm telling you right now, those are the and bodyguards. They know what's going on in somebody's life um, better than maybe in their family. And there was never like one story that stuck out like the bread story. Like I could totally picture this bread story. Like I totally know people like that. I would never be like that either. I don't understand that type of person. But this driver never had a story of like, man, I was driving and Tom didn't think I was paying attention. Let me tell you how this conversation went down with Erica. No, it's just more that um, there was one conversation where he was saying that he was taking her to her apartment more than he was taking her to the house. And that just stood out to me because when I would meet with Tom, he would always say the most glowing things about Erica to me. Um, in part, because Tom's a chameleon and I'm very much like a, a I'm pro-female. I want to support other women in their careers, in their lives as human beings or whatever. So he would know that would be, I would look up to that, that he was um, talking positive about Erica. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't um, go over well if he was telling me bad things about his wife. I'm not thinking, I wouldn't want to hear that. Do you think he did all of this like for himself? Like, you know, the, you know, Jonathan club, the table, kiss the ring. Or do you think he did all this because he said, holy shit, I have like the hot trophy wife and look at her. No, she spent he so much like, money. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, isn't this a good question? I think it's a good question. That's why I asked it. I have so many more questions. I mean, the housewife and the hustler part two guys. I have so many more questions for Kimberly and she's going to answer them all. I love this chat. We talk forever. So stay tuned for part two of our chat with the one and only Miss Kimberly Archie. We're going to cover it all. I got a lot more questions about Mr. Girardi and Erica. And I mean, Erica met with her. I, I we're, we're just beginning. So stay tuned for part two of our chat with the one and only Miss Kimberly Archie. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. 
or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.